1: If you like Suburbia, try out these other games. We'd like to thank all of our Patreon backers for helping us bring you a brand new episode. Welcome to Board Gamers Anonymous, the podcast about board gamers and the insane fun we have at the table together. This is Chris. And this is Anthony. Anthony, we are bringing everyone back. We had a fantastic week last week talking about some of the I would say best games out there as far as June 2019 is concerned, all the hot stuff. But now we're getting up to convention season. Origins is only a week away. Gen Con is soon to follow. Obviously, BGG Con, and then I guess wrapping up with Packs Unplugged. A lot of stuff is going on in board gaming.
0: Yeah, I know it's it's tough. Like this is my first year, like in four or five years now, where I'm not doing any cons this summer, and I'm feeling it because I've had at least a half a dozen people ask me like, Oh, I'll see you. I'll see you at origins. Like, no, you won't. (laughs) And I got, I got a good excuse for for origins. I'm going to visit the family back in Seattle. I'm going to get some time back there. It's where I went to college. It's where I grew up. So I'm excited about that, but board games, man, board games. (laughs) Well, if you happen to be in Seattle, Anthony will be up
1: there. So if you could grab him for a game, do so. Cause he's, you know, he's coming down from a, from a really pretty strong cardboard addiction.
0: Yeah. <laughs> it's going to be a rough summer. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, I'm still trying to see if I can hitch a ride with somebody and lay on somebody's floor and we'll see how Origins kind of plays out. It's a it's a little tight these days. So, we'll bring you an update of at least what's going on with Origins and maybe some actual live content. All right, Anthony. So, there is so much going on board gaming. As we talked about, the conventions, the award seasons, But we at BGA have our own fantastic upcoming contest.
0: Tell everyone about it. Every three to four years, depending on uh, where we are, we have a World Cup bracket. So we actually did one of these last year for the Men's World Cup. We're doing another one this year for the Women's World Cup. And we're doing alternate history games. So we have 32 games that take a world or historical area that you know and tweak it just a little bit make it a little funny so these are not like high fantasy games or ancient history games these are just like things you know but slightly different and there are 32 of them broken down into eight pools of four and you can go in and you can pick which two games you think are going to win from each of those pools and then which one you think is going to win overall whoever gets closest to the correct answer Uh, at the end is going to win one of those games that is in print. So there's a list there on the contest. You can see which games are eligible to actually win. If you want to enter, hit up BoardGamersAnonymous.com. I have that pinned to the homepage. Check out Facebook uh, slash BoardGamersAnonymous, where it is also pinned to the top. And it's real quick and easy. Look at the list, pick a few games. Boom, you're entered. So check it out.
1: Yeah, it's a lot of really fun games that probably have as part of your collection. And it's a good way to kind of enjoy... You know, having those different strange things, kind of alter modern history and see which one thematically really just plays out really well in those games. Well, speaking about strange changes in our history, Anthony, we have a little bit of a situation with our Patreon backers. So as everyone knows, our Patreon backers have been tremendous and so generous as far as supporting us to be able to bring you new episodes each and every week. You may not know, but the podcast actually does cost us quite a bit of money and time to produce, and we couldn't be able to produce each and every week two podcasts, all the content on BoardGamersAnonymous.com, the videos that we have up on YouTube, just We have a lot of content going on there, not to mention everything that we post on Patreon with our special Patreon backed episodes, and even more content that you could read up there as well. But recently, patreon.com changed their service agreement. And basically, what that comes down to is it's going to have to alter the way that we are. Providing our free games to our Patreon backers. So previously we had a situation in which we randomly chose one of the Patreon backers at least at the $5 limit in order to make that uh, financially viable for us. And we sent them out a game with the help from our friends at Game Surplus. Now Patreon is saying, not just to us, but we have to make sure that certain conditions are met in order to be able to provide these types of awards for our Patreon backers. So what Anthony and I were able to put together was a situation in which we would be able to continue the contest because it seems like something everyone loves having and something that we love doing for you, but at the same time meet with these new rules and restrictions. So what we're going to have to do is no longer, unfortunately, have a $1 or $2 base on our Patreon backer situation. So if you are currently a $1 or $2 backer, we would please love for you to join us at the $5 limit because that would allow us to enter you into one of our contests to win a game. Now, these contests are going to be actual contests. So we might post a picture with different components. We might, post, we might post a board game photo that we want you to comment on. We're going to find really fun and interesting different ways to test your board game knowledge and your knowledge of Board Gamers Anonymous. It's going to be fun. It's going to be quick. It's going to be super simple. It's not going to be any major barrier for entry, but it's going to allow us to continue the contest each and every week. So as I said, if you are at the $1 or $2 backer limit, please consider moving up to the $5 limit. We really don't want to lose your support. And if you haven't supported Board Gamers Anonymous yet on Patreon, please check us out. It really does help us do a lot of things, including going to conventions, bringing the newest games back so that we can talk to you about them and help you make your purchases.
0: Yeah, no, it's it's really, it's really cool. And obviously, there's other stuff that comes with that, too. We have the Patreon produced episodes we put out, we have the Slack group, we have all these other things that come with being a Patreon backer, those are all still going to be there at the $5 level. And just for anybody out there who might be maybe you're in the Slack group, and you are at the $1 or $2 level, we're not going to boot you out. So don't worry about that if, you know, grandfathered in for all of that. But we will have to change those levels. Um, And we have been talking about, too, for those people who do want to offer some kind of support, but maybe they can't budget $5 a month. I 100% understand that. Putting some of our bonus episodes up on, like, Bandcamp or some other bonus content we might do so that you could just purchase those one at a time for a dollar or two. So we are looking at some other stuff. Uh, We do have a shop on our website if you want to, like, purchase a T-shirt or a cup with the logo on it. Um, those things are also very very supportive and help us out um, cover our costs so lots of cool stuff you can do Uh, we are excited about this contest though it's going to have some fun new elements to it Uh, you know random is easy but it's also not as creative and cool as some of the ideas that we've been tossing around
1: yeah so please check us out on patreon.com slash BGA, you'll see all the information about the episodes, the Slack group, everything that Anthony mentioned, and so much more. Not to mention that we really want you to help guide and direct Board Gamers Anonymous so it's the best podcast for you. All right, Anthony, so that's everything that's going on with BGA. Let's get on to what's going on with our listeners. What's our question of the week?
0: All right, question of the week this week. We asked, how do you decide which games to queue up for the next game night? hotness time since last play something else i this has come up for me several times lately where i have a, a friend who just tells me i want to play this game do you own it and I, <laughs> the answer is usually yes and so then i learn it and that's what i bring to game night but then other people of course have other games they want to play or learn and it's become more of a kind of a rotation uh than it used to be where everybody just brought everything they wanted to play and then we all stared at each other for 20 minutes the So I wanted to see what other people were doing. John mentions he picks a game and then decides who he wants to invite based on the game he picked, which I've absolutely done that as well, especially for like a big long game. 100% will determine who's coming over. Amy says, for my group, it's almost always just whatever someone has been itching to play. That is, when we have a plan of what to play beforehand, at least half the time they don't. So <laughs> uh, Michael has probably the most interesting and structured uh, response to this is anybody we have a chip based draw system each person who shows up to game night gets a chip thrown into the bowl the more nights you show up the more chips build up in the bowl then we draw one chip to see who picks the game that person can then opt to put their chip back in and draw another person's chip or they choose the game so it allows them to play a greater variety of games compared to their older voting system i like that one i feel like if you have the same group of people every time that makes a lot of sense it's true. Uh, Chris says no pre-planning at all because everybody has different uh, you know expectations I think that's pretty normal uh, Jay has a flow chart he shares uh, number one how many are coming number two what are their tastes number three how much time is available number four do I want to teach something new this is huge actually I have a pile of games I keep by my door and I'm like I'm gonna bring these to game nights in the next couple weeks and there might be a week where on game night, I'm like, I'm exhausted. I'm not doing that. <laughs> so <laughs> these games all go away. I don't feel like teaching anything. These games, people probably already know how to play. Yeah, I don't know. I, for me, it's almost always, what do I think other people are going to want to play? And what do I feel like teaching? And how much time do we have? There are a few questions that go through my head, but I have so much stuff that hasn't been played in such a long time that they're, <laughs> I rarely have a priority. <laughs> so
1: I guess for me, it depends on the game group. Recently, we've been visiting my friend Mark's house and he typically has the whole day or maybe sometimes the whole weekend available. So because he's the host, typically what he needs help with is actually learning games. So he buys a lot of games, but really doesn't get into the rule books. So if we can help him out, that's typically the, which way we go like, Hey Mark, what games (laughs) do you want to get to the table? Does anyone know that game? All right, we'll play that game. If that's not the consideration, it always goes hotness first then a game that people have not played, and then a game that everyone has played. So typically the games where a couple people played it, but not other people, that game kind of gets lost because they're like, huh, the teach is going to be like this, or maybe it's going to take this long. We all know how to play this. Let's play the one that we all know how to play. Or, hey, none of us played this, so let's do that one. With one exception that we always kind of throw into it, everyone gets a veto. So if there's a game that you absolutely do not like to play, it's a complete dodge, or you're just not feeling it at the moment, then you can just say, you know what? That's just not the one for me. But that veto only goes so far. So if you veto one thing, you're probably going to get stuck with the next game. All right, so that's everything from our listeners, Anthony. Let's get on to the games that we've been wanting to talk about and wanting to get to the table. Let's talk about our
0: acquisition disorders. All right. Yeah, so I... I have a new Terra Mystica expansion that just popped up on BGG this last week. And at first I thought it was the one that they'd been talking about, but it's not. It's a completely different one that nobody had heard about. So <laughs> there is one called, for now, Age of Innovation that's coming out in the sometime in the future that takes some of the stuff from Gaia Project, like the tech tree, and adds it to this game, right? And which would be great because a lot of cool new things were added to Gaia Project, which I think would make Terra Mystica a much better game. This one is different. It's merchants of the sea and it adds a lot more things you can do with ships that will sail along the rivers. So there's a new large building, the shipyard it'll allow you to upgrade your shipping, uh, produce these ships and do all sorts of cool stuff with them. So they can dig and build in adjacent hexes so they can move up and down the river and build all over the place. You can import stuff and export stuff to generate victory points There are new round scoring tiles, 12 of them. Um, There's four new ship related favors, new bonus tiles, a bunch of new power actions and two maps now. So introducing obviously a lot more water to the game, um, the Loon Lakes and the Fjords. So it's not the big overhaul to draw in the Gaia project content that we're all waiting for, which is coming it's something completely different, which also sounds very cool. So <laughs> I'm pretty excited about that. The original designers are, of course, involved in this, but it also has two other designers, Eduardo De Andrade and James Atai. And James Atai is actually involved with some of the work on Digidice's work with Terra Mystica, too. So he, he actually works in the digital version of the game as well as some of the other stuff for that, that those guys put out on the QA side. So there's obviously a lot of... It, you know, background and history and knowledge about the game going into this. And so we'll see how it turns out. I mean, the Fire and Ice expansion was very good. Um, And I really wish I played this more because it was one of my favorite games for such a long time until Gaia Project came out. So anything that brings it back to the table would be awesome. I'm going to pick this up and hopefully it'll rekindle my love of the game, which I'm still holding on to, despite Gaia Project kind of replacing it at least for now.
1: I wonder, and obviously this is the same company, the same designers and mechanics and and such, obviously there's difference. And I guess it's great that they're both coming out with expansions because, you know, some people like fantasy and some people like sci-fi. And obviously there's enough difference that they're different, so to speak. But I wonder if one of these expansions is just going to come out and just kill the other game. Just be like, so much better than playing the other game that it's just you might as well get rid of your out of your collection
0: yeah i don't know i mean gaia project almost did that i had terra mystica on my trade pile and i just couldn't do it but <laughs> like just for nostalgia reasons if nothing else but i haven't played it since it's been almost two years sure. since i've touched that game so i don't know all right well i got a game that i'm really interested
1: and in. heard a little bit about so a lot of talk is being had about this game and it's a little bit odd as far as title's concerned. This is Neom. This is a tile drafting, think Seven Wonders with literally three ages of tiles, that you'll be passing around. And then you'll be building up your own futuristic city based upon your city being able to produce the right resources in order to build certain buildings. There are also roads that you'll have to connect in order to get back to the main part of the, I guess, the capital city. So there's a little bit of restraint and kind of puzzle making as far as where do you place certain buildings. There's also these capstone tiles that score you a lot of points. And then there are these disaster tiles, which is going to hit all of the other opponents. If you play that particular tile, you can also buy resources from neighboring cities, just like Seven Wonders and just like. Every good Euro game that was ever invented, person with most victory points, wins the game. It's an interesting, mechanical, you know, pasted on theme, so to speak. The artwork is decent. The tile quality seems okay. The Seven Wonder-esque nature of a city building game is really dynamic and interesting. And it's something that I'm hoping that either I get to the table or someone brings to the table at some point because I'd really like to get a chance to play this.
0: Yeah, I'm kind of in the same boat. And I actually had not heard about this until yesterday when somebody at the game day I was at said, "Hey, have you heard of this game because we were playing Seven Wonders." And he's like, "It's kind of like that, but it's got a city-building element to it." I'm like, "Well, yeah, I want to play that now." So, <laughs> and then you mentioned it today and I'm like, "Okay, that's 2 days in a row. I have to play the game now." Absolutely. <laughs> All right, so that's
1: everything that we want to get to the table. Anthony, let's talk about the games we actually got to the table and let people know if those games are a buy and you should run out and pick those games up. If those games are a play and you should sit down and play them. If those games are a dodge and you should avoid them at all costs or if the game happens to be the dreaded burn and you should get rid of it.
0: All right, Anthony, so what did you get to the table this week? All right, I'm going to do one of those rapid fires uh, because I have three... I know. Right. Uh, I have three small games, um, including one that I've just really, really enjoyed and a couple that were up for the Spiel des Jahres, which, of course, means they're very light. So I'm going to keep this quick. The first of these is I'm going to butcher this uh, Kras Karyat Karyat. It's German. Uh, (laughs) it, It translates to checkered combos. And this is a game from Amigo that came out at Essen last year. And it is a trick taking climbing game that I actually really, really like which I've been surprised by that. I actually ordered a copy from Germany because I did like it that much. The idea of the game is there is a deck of cards ranging from one to 12. And then also in the deck, you have stop cards, draw three cards and wild cards. And on your turn, you're going to start out with a hand like you would in uh, any trick-taking game. You're going to get dealt between seven and 10 cards. But those cards have to stay in the order they were dealt. So you look at them in your hand and that's the order you have the cards. Then you have to play them in order, like a trick-taking game. Uh, and just every trick is once around the table. Either a single card, a run of two cards, a pair of cards, a run of three cards, or three of a kind. So kind of like those poker hands going up. So it's a climbing game where one if somebody plays a five, you have to play higher than a five. If someone plays a pair of sixes, you have to play a higher pair or a three of a kind or th- a run of three. You get the idea. And so you go around and you go around and you go around. And if somebody can't play, then they draw one of the two reserve cards in front of them. If they can't play again, they draw that again. And if they can't play again, they're out. And everybody has a certain number of lives. Once those life tokens are all gone, they lose. Everybody else wins. So (laughs) it's one of those games where there's one loser, many winners. This has become kind of my go-to, like, toss-in-my-bag game because it's quick, it's easy, The puzzly element of looking at that hand of cards and deciding what to pull, when and where to try to condense your deck down and create those combos and when to play your combos, because maybe someone else has even a bigger one that's going to knock you out. It's really, really fun. I really enjoy it quite a lot. I don't generally like these, so I did want to take the time to recommend it because (laughs) it is so good. I don't know when it's getting an English release. Hopefully it does, but it is relatively easy to find i mean like i ordered mine on amazon for 10 bucks and it, it shipped from germany but it didn't cost extra to ship i don't think so that's crass carrot checkered combos very good it's a buy for me um, well worth checking out if you like those little quick card games and maybe even if you don't because i generally don't next up is just one this was nominated for the spiel des Jahres, designed by ludovic rowdy and Bruno sauter and I didn't know this until Jason told us on the podcast a couple weeks ago. They designed Seventh Continent and then they made this tiny little, you know, quick party game, which is crazy. So I got a chance to play this and it's a cooperative party game, which is kind of cool, kind of like a, I don't know, I can't, can't think of anything off my like concept almost. What you do is one person's going to play a card in front of them. They can't see it. They say a number, it corresponds to one of the words on the card or write a word on their personal board that represents the word that was just announced and then they compare them see if any of the words are the same erase those if they are the same and then show it to the guesser and the guesser has to determine what is the word that they have in front of them that's it and you go around and you do this i believe 13 times and you see how many of them you get right Every time you get one wrong, you lose that point, but you also discard a card. So you actually lose two points every time. So you have to be careful. Um, You can also pass if you really just don't know the answer, only lose the one point. It's really, really fun. I mean, it's to go through all 13 cards takes about a half an hour or so. Um, A lot of funny, just quick, fun stuff. It's not like the competitive, like angry stuff that ends up happening with a lot of party word games. I really enjoyed it. I was surprised I enjoyed it so much. And uh I'm glad to have it. It's weird. I don't generally like these games, but I do rather had a lot of fun with it. So just one. um, I'd say it's a buy, honestly. If you want a quick party game that's not going to put anybody in a bad spot, this is a great game. And last but not least, uh, Chris has talked about this a few times, so I'm not covering any new ground here, but I did get a chance to play it. And it is up for this BLTR, so (laughs) I'm going to talk about it anyways. That's Werewords. Uh, This is the werewolf word-guessing game, uh, I guess you'd call it, from Ted Elsbeck and Bézier. And it is, it's is—it's just like Werewolf, One Light Werewolf, where you got the app and everybody gets the unique rules and you open your eyes and you look at the app and everybody closes their eyes. And then the is trying to guess the werewolf and the werewolf's trying to guess the seer. And all that stuff's the same, but the objective of the game, instead of trying to figure out who the werewolf is, is to guess the word, which the mayor knows and nobody else does except the seer and the werewolf. Uh, so you have these little tokens, and they're limited, but they generally don't run out. And you just throw them out there if somebody guesses them right or wrong until they get the word correct. And if you're the seer, you have to try to help without giving, making it too obvious. And if you're the werewolf, you have to try to make it harder without making it too obvious. Because if either of those are guessed, the other side loses. I'm not a huge fan of werewolf, really, in any format. Even that one night, I just it's not a lot of fun for me. This one I did like, though. I mean, it's not I don't like it as much as I liked just one. And I played both of these both nights back to back. So I kind of got to compare them. But I did actually enjoy it more than I thought I would. So I will give it that. It's a strong play. Like if someone brings it out, I will play it. I don't think I'll pick up a copy of it, but it is a solid game. That is the three quickish party games I played in the last week. Of the two Spiel des Jahres nominees, I would say just one is the better game thus far. But I have not played Llama or whatever that other card game is for Minor Canizia. So I guess. All right. So I got a really big game to
1: the table this week. This is Escape Plan from designer Vitaliserta and artwork by Ian Tool from Eagle Griffin Games. This was kind of branded as Vitaliserta's lighter game. So if Lisboa was too heavy for you, this might be something that fitted perfectly in your collection. This is a wonderfully beautiful production. And basically, this is all about you and your competitors. And In this case, you're all thieves and crooks. And you are hiding money throughout the city, living up the good life. But the cops have caught on to all of you and are shutting down the city for good. So basically, you have three rounds to run around the city Collect as much money as you can and then get out through the escape. Now, if you don't escape, you don't win the game. You don't get any money. You don't score any points. It's basically game over for you. The cops have caught you, and that's it. Now, basically, what's going to happen on each of these major kind of rounds is you are going to be able to place tiles on the board and then connect these huge hex tiles that are going to connect different parts of the environment. So there'll be waterways, there'll be city areas, and you're going to try to connect them in order to kind of build up the city and then have the different locations on these different hex tiles. So on your turn, you will take your single meeple and then move to these different locations. Now, you're pretty limited on movement space, but you can bulk it up with getting a number of different bonus features. So there, so there might be equipment that actually let you move further or across water or across the air, or there might be some helpers that will actually help you do special things. Now, as you're moving throughout the city, you also have to deal with the different police that are patrolling and trying to track you down. So there'll be SWAT agents, there'll be county cops, there'll be local police, and these different color meeples are going to do some serious damage to you if you can't avoid them. So it's a little bit of a cat and mouse game as the game goes through, as basically you are trying to visit these three main locations. So first up is the safe house. The safe house is a great location because it's going to reduce your notoriety. And as the notoriety goes up, other players will be able to send cops after you. You'll be able to get a key and keys are important because... One of the next locations which you want to visit is the convenience store. Now, the convenience store has these lockers, which has different bags of money, including no money whatsoever. And by turning your key, you'll be able to search the locker for money, which is a big bonus in the game. And then finally, there are businesses. Businesses will be able to give you, as I mentioned earlier, special abilities to kind of move you throughout the game, help you avoid the cops throughout the game, heal wounds throughout the game. And as you're going through the game, you're going to be pretty much focused on this one particular escape plan card that's going to tell you which locations is going to give you instant money or score you money at the end of the game, which is victory points. So as you hit these different locations, you're trying to hit the top numbers first, but at some point, those locations will lock down. So you want to hit them early and quick unless you have a key to reopen those locations. As you do, you'll be taking cubes off your income track to place them at those different locations in order to score end game victory points. But that's going to lower the amount of money you're going to get throughout the game. As the game goes on, the exits will eventually be shut down and there'll be one exit left. Everyone has to rush out. And as players rush out, it becomes more expensive to escape the city. So at the end, if you escaped, you'll count up all your money, take into consideration your wounds and your notoriety and any other negatives that will take away from your cash, and whoever has the most money at the end wins the game. As I mentioned, Escape Plan is a beautiful production, colorful and bright, kind of fun and light as far as placing the tiles out there and just making the one move in order to get to the location you need to to get to there is also opportunities to get extra actions that will kind of like extend your day so instead of having the morning the afternoon and night to move you could actually have the evening and such so those ways to kind of extend your action points throughout the game but basically it could come down to just simply nine moves so once you wrap your brain around these different locations that are going to give you money and benefits and how you kind of efficiently connect them together. The game is rather simplistic and in all, I'm going to give escape plan a play. It has some oddities as far as in some circumstances being a little too complex and in some circumstances being a little too simple, but generally the game comes together to be an enjoyable experience and everybody on the table said they never played a game like this before so if you get a chance to play escape plan i'd recommend it
0: yeah i think i had almost the same reaction honestly to this game like i, I every time i play it i'm like i got to play it again just to, i don't know i'm just not quite i don't understand where i am and i'm still there like <laughs> it didn't change sure um it's a good game but it's also really big and overproduced but it's really only like 90 minutes But it's also has some moments where people have to scratch their heads and you get lost and you have to look up the rules. I'm like, I don't know what kind of game this is trying to be. Like, what is it doing? And it's also really expensive. And so I like it. Yeah, I mean, $140 is insane. It's more expensive than Lisboa. And that's not (laughs) great. Not at all. And it's a beautiful game. So you're, I mean, component wise, you're getting what you're paying for, but not gameplay wise. So I don't know. It's, I like it and i'll hold on to it but if i'd played it multiple times before backing it i probably would have held off so i guess yeah i'm also a play on this thing
1: all right so those are the games that are hitting our table hopefully those games will hit your table pretty soon anthony let's get on to the feature review so for our feature review this week we are talking about if you like suburbia try these other games out so anthony and i have a list of Six games that we feel like if Suburbia is a game that keeps hitting your table or hits so much and so hard that you want to get something new out, you might like these games. Now, for those of you who don't know, Suburbia is a city building game in which you'll put out hex tiles that will trigger off other tiles that are placed on the board previously or placed later on. They also interact with tiles that are placed out by other players in the game. It was a really interesting dynamic game. It was one of my favorites. I think Anthony too. The designer was Ted Alsback and this comes from Bézier Games. It's a little bit of a lackluster appearance from the outside, but it's a phenomenal crunchy game on the inside. And it recently wrapped up a Kickstarter with a phenomenal production. So I know that a lot of people are going to get Suburbia to the table with its brand new production. It's going to look fantastic It includes the expansions and a new expansion to it. So there's going to be a lot of suburbia on the table. So if you want to get ramped up for suburbia and get some new city building to the table, these games might be great for you. Anthony, I know this is a favorite game of yours as well.
0: Yeah, it's a top 10 game and it has been like every time we've done our top list, it's been up there like it it never falls down. So I spent all that money. I'm getting the big fancy edition. (laughs) yeah (laughs) it's for moments like this when i can be like isn't that great and not all the other moments where i'm like what did i do
1: (laughs) yeah it looks like a fantastic production and even if you get the original edition you're still going to have an amazing time i have it and all of its expansions and i really enjoy it a great deal so let's talk about games that are very much like
0: suburbia all right yeah so i'm going to start on the lighter end uh this is a game i've almost certainly talked about before on this podcast, because I like it so much. And it's Quadropolis. This is a Days of Wonder game, and it is a kind of unique twist on action selection, almost kind of like a draft, honestly. Um, you have a big board full of tiles in the middle of the the board, and you have a number of architects, and their numbers are one through four. You place them on one of the rows or columns, and you take the tile that it's pointing at and the number it is in that row or column. So it kind of, you have to think about where you're going to pull those tiles from. There's several different types of tiles. You have convenience stores and factories and high rises and um, all these different types of things and they score in different ways. So it's it kind of takes that idea of your city works together in this very unique way. It scores based on how it works together from suburbia and dumbs it way down. So like, this is definitely more of an entry level game. The weight is around a two and I really enjoy it for that. It takes about 40 minutes to play, has some good expansion content. I wish more people talked about it and played it because it's one of my favorite, like light city building games. Uh, but if you haven't had a chance to play it, it is still available. They do still print it. It's Quadropolis from Days All right, of Wonder.
1: Well, I don't have any light games on my list because for me, Suburbia is probably on the lighter side of this. But I got a lot of dynamic games that utilize a lot of the Suburban mechanics. So first up, Keyflower. If you haven't played Keyflower, you're really missing out. Now, Keyflower has its own kind of like cult following. Basically, Keyflower is all about using your meeples in order to to secure tiles in which you're going to build up your own Keyflower village. Now, what's really interesting about Keyflower and what makes it a little bit crunchy is... When you place your tiles out, you have these road systems. So not only do tiles benefit by being next to each other, but you also have to consider how the roads match up because throughout the game, you're going to be producing resources just not just on your tiles, but on other players' tiles as well. So you'll send your meeple over there to work, you'll produce resources, they'll get your meeple, and you'll be able to send the resources back to your tile. But in order to utilize those resources, you'll have to move them along the road system. So you'll be flipping your tiles throughout the game, getting bonuses, getting boat tiles, which will give you more meeples and more resources throughout the game. And then when it eventually gets to winter, there's going to be big bonus tiles, which everyone will be bidding for. So it has the tile lane and the dynamic placement of Suburbia, but it uses a bidding mechanic in a really interesting and fun
0: way. That's Keyflower. All right. Yeah. So next up on my list is Warsaw City of Ruins, also known as the capital uh, in the original version. This is a game in which you are building the city of Warsaw from the 16th century through to the modern times. And the city itself is kind of one of those patchwork European cities that has been rebuilt and built over and rebuilt again dozens of times over the years and most poignantly affected by you know the world wars of the 20th century. And so the game kind of reflects that as you play, you'll get different tiles that come out later. And at certain points during the various scoring rounds, you'll actually have to remove pieces from your city as they are destroyed. So you'll be drafting tiles. There are multiple different types of tiles, and each of them has different um, colored districts on them. You're trying to match those up to each other. Plus there are certain special abilities and buildings. Um, You have icons for things like the Metro And you're trying to connect them in certain ways to maximize how many points you score. But you have a very limited amount of space in which to do it. Your part of the city can only be three by four. So you can only have 12 tiles with a couple of exceptions. So when you take the tile in the draft, you can place it down and pay the cost to build it or you can just discard it and take three coins from the bank, which you'll do in this game more than you might even realize and definitely more than you would in some other games because of how tight that space is. I really liked it because you have a very limited number of options and you have to maximize the value of what you get done with that. It has a lot of those similar suburbia elements of here are a bunch of different parts of a city. Here are some special buildings. Here are some special abilities, combine them and manipulate them and work them together in a way that you're going to score as much as you can. It's not a heavy game. It is again in the, the low to mid two range at the highest but it's quick, it's accessible, it doesn't have the huge amount of tracking that like a Suburbia does, so it's easier to teach to people, and I had a lot of fun with it as a tile lane game. So that is Warsaw, City of Ruins. All right, next up for me is Patch History. This is a really interesting game. It's It's been
1: overlooked. The production is a little suspect, to say the least. But what's really fantastic about this, as far as laying cards next to each other, just like what Suburbia does with the tile mechanic is you're gonna be covering up certain parts of the card. So when you do that, you are restricting yourself to some of the resources that you could possibly get. So placement is key here. Where you place, how those things match up. If you're getting a bulk situation, you can only make your grid so big, depending on the round. So as you build up your grid, you'll activate certain sections of that. The bigger the section is, all the better building up resources, building up military, attacking your neighbors, utilizing leaders throughout the history and monuments. It's a really dynamic and brilliant little game that just doesn't get as much love as it should. That's patch
0: history. All right. And then the last one for me, a little bit on the heavier side is urban sprawl. This is a game by Chad Jensen uh, from GMT games. And it is all about, as you might guess, building a city. Um, in the game, you're going to start out with kind of this big empty grid and it's a GMT game. So it's not a very pretty grid, but you're going to make it a little bit nicer as you go. And over the course of the game, you're going to acquire new building permits. You're going to build buildings based on what's currently available. You're going to get favors, um, specific buildings that contracts that only certain people can build, On your turn, you're going to get a number of action points with which to do those things. So you're always going to have six points. Sometimes it goes up or down, depending on what's available to you. And there's just a lot of the nuances that go into city building that aren't in some of these lighter games. So you have things like where to build them, what zoning they're in, government, residential, industrial, commercial. You have things like certain types of buildings that might influence the value of a neighborhood. You have the impact of like, what you specifically have put into the city versus someone else and while it looks like this big crunchy spreadsheet of a game it's relatively accessible it's somewhat longer uh it's about three hours long but in terms of weight and complexity it's right there around where suburbia is which is pretty solid so urban sprawl is a good one doesn't come out nearly as much it's a little bit older but well worth checking out if you're a fan of Suburbia. And finally,
1: for me, probably on the heaviest of sides, so to speak, is Carson City. Carson City is a fantastic worker placement game that in just a simple four rounds, you're going to be building up this western Midwest city. Now, what's really fun and dynamic about it is the actions are going to allow you to build up this city gain resources from the city and then place down tiles that are going to utilize them that are going to utilize the natural resources of the board based upon where you place the tiles. Obviously you're going to get a benefit just like suburbia, but as the tiles ramp up with their increased wealth and special ability, the tiles are actually going to turn and could even possibly flip over. So you're going to be able to mark the value of the tile right there on the tile. So just on that simple game board, you're getting all of the information you need as you try to capture different plots of land, place your buildings, and you know what? If you really want that building that someone else already placed out there, you can face them down in a duel and shoot it out. All right, so there you go. Six great games that if you like Suburbia, you should absolutely check out. There's some fantastic city building going out there. Please get these games out to the table. All right, so that's everything for this week. Until next time, this is Chris. And this is Anthony. And we'll save you a seat at the table.
0: You're listening to a proud member
1: of the Dice Tower Network, dedicated to bringing podcasters together for the greater good of gaming. It's sort of like Voltron, but with better lip-syncing. Find out more at Dicetowernetwork.com.